This is episode 128 of Relate on Acting as a Business with Brian O'Neill. We are spending more and more time in the online world, looking through our screens and increasingly disconnected with those around us. But studies have proven that it's real-life meaningful relationships that bring us the most joy and happiness. It's all about human connection and conversing with people from a variety of backgrounds. Worlds change when eyes meet. So let's sit down and relate. Hello, everyone. I am your host, Patrick McAndrew, and welcome to another episode of Relate. For all of you actors out there, we have an incredible episode for you all. This is the episode to listen to if you're an actor out there. We have an amazing guest joining us. His name is Brian O'Neill, and Brian is the author of Acting as a Business, Strategies for Success. This is an amazing book. I picked up a copy of this book when I first moved to New York City and gave me a wide variety of different insight into what it means to create a business out of your acting career. Acting as a business is now considered such a vital resource that it recently won a spot on Entertainment Weekly Magazine's exclusive list of top 10 showbiz industry Bibles. Brian has also created the advice column Actors Q&As for Backstage, and his books are also required or recommended reading in many conservatory training programs, including Yale and Juilliard. He has trained so many actors throughout his many years in the business, and since 2010 alone, many of the actors he has worked with have starred in major motion pictures including Star Wars The Last Jedi, Robin Hood, Drive, and the Columbia Pictures release Great Hope Springs with Meryl Streep. His actors have been the recipients of Emmys and a Golden Globe. They've been on a variety of different television series like Orange is the New Black, True Blood, Sense8, Stargate Universe. And he's also had actors who later signed with agencies including Creative Artists Agency, William Morris Endeavor, ICM, Paradigm, Gersh, Innovative Artists, Abrams Artists, and many others. For those of you listening out there who are not actors, these are very well-known industry agencies, and it's safe to say that Brian has had a wealth of experience, and today on this episode, he shares a lot of valuable information with us. We talk about his career, we talk about uh, his book, Acting as a Business, we also discuss the importance of showing your credibility when you are talking to agents and casting directors. We discuss understanding the big picture, how you need to train a prospective agent to see how you are or how you see yourself in the industry. And we also talk about the importance of callbacks and why we must study with good people who are well-connected. At the end of the day, a big reason why I had Brian on this show, despite his enormous amount of experience in the entertainment industry alone, which was reason enough to have him on this show, but specifically it was because of his relationship building skills. He is a master when it comes to marketing and networking in the entertainment industry and really values the importance of building relationships and discusses why relationship building is so critically important. If you like this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave me a review. I would really appreciate it. Also, if you have fellow actor friends out there who are looking for some guidance in their careers, send them this episode and encourage them to go to Brian O'Neill's website, which you could find in the show notes or at the end of our episode as well. So without further ado, let me please introduce today's amazing guest, Brian O'Neill. Brian, I'm, I'm very excited to have you here today. As I mentioned 
acting as a business was this book that I picked up when I first moved to New York. And there's so much wisdom in there about the business of acting, about the marketing side of things. And it really gave me some powerful insight into how to connect with people within the industry. So regarding this podcast, as you know, about the importance of meaningful connection and human relationships, I definitely wanted to have you on the show because I think we in the entertainment industry have a very unique perspective on what it means to connect and relate with one another uh, in today's day and age. So thank you so much for joining me on the show. Well, thank you, Patrick. It's great to be here. It's a lot of fun. So I'm wondering if you could just start out uh, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you, if you could just share a little bit about yourself and what led you on the path you're pursuing today. Sure. Well, first of all, in addition to thanking you for having me here, I'm really happy that you got some stuff uh, you know, out of the book that you could use. This some of it is a general overview and then some of it gets very specific, you know. But my my actual career when I was 14 years old and there was I believe was the kind of the rise of uh, you know, equity regional theaters around the country. And uh, Trinity Repertory Company had just started up in Providence. And that's where I lived. That's where I grew up. So I was 14 and I made my way over there. And I thought, I wonder what's going on over here. And they were all equity actors and they were doing, you know, all the cla- classic, content, modern classics from Williams and O'Neill and uh, to the, you know, classic classics of, of Shakespeare and uh, Moliere and that sort of thing. So what I ended up doing was I got a job on the running crew. And so my name was like in the program and I was 14 and very, very, no one was ever starstruck than I was and more starstruck and seeing my name in a, a professional theater program. And then they had me on as the house manager. So I was like in charge of, you know, the ticketing and tickets and whatever you do. And so I decided at some point that, well, I must be the uh, I must be the youngest house manager in uh, American Actors Equity Theater, and so I decided that I was, and that's the story I stuck to. <laughs> Nobody's ever said yet. No, wait a minute, there was somebody thirteen, but anyway, um, I, I I wanted to be a singer. That was my that's what I really wanted to be, and I started singing as a a, a kid and a teenager, and started studying diligently. The problem was I wasn't really good. I wasn't like, I wasn't as good as my friends who never took voice lessons, but it got me enough so that I got in some musicals and then acting, grow out of the musicals, okay. And then I majored in theater and then I came to New York and I did some plays here. And those were the days, of course, when I first came to New York, Patrick, uh, in the seventies, there were a dozen soap operas on in New York, 12. And now there are none. Now there are none. But we had no prime time to speak of. And so not only were there 12, they were on five days a week. And as we got toward the end of the 70s, most of them went from 30 minutes to 60 minutes. So you had uh, a couple of them fell off the air, but then they'd be replaced by other ones. So you had at least 10 60-minute shows a day, five days a week, 52 weeks a year. So that looked like fun. That looks like fun. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get work on those. So I mounted a campaign, which was in the earlier editions of my book. If you want to work on soaps, I can't promise you you're going to get a contract at all or that you're going to get big parts, but you can get small parts. And the easy thing about getting the small parts, the under fives, as they call them, literally under five lines, was that you would go in and you would read for the associate casting director and they would just because it was daytime and there was such a volume of daily casting, they would make the decision. You didn't have to then go to the producers for a role of that size. So what happened to many, 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 many of us is that we, like I got a job as a bartender on One Life to Live. And so every time they needed a bartender at that bar, they'd just say, call Brian. So I would, I would go and I'd have that job. But I also had a nighttime bartending job. I much preferred the one in the day, believe me. <laughs> you didn't have, I, I didn't have to do anything. 
And sometimes they had lines and sometimes they didn't. But I'd go to my nighttime bartending job and I would like cut up the fruit and the limes and the lime. And then I'd bring it to the soap opera in the day and cut it up some more and run to my bar job at night with the lemons and the limes all. So <laughs> this was fun. This was in the 70s up to early 80s. Then I became an agent. I decided, you know, acting was not for any number of reasons what was going to live long. And I was fine with that. And I decided, and the good, the lucky thing for me in becoming a talent agent was the particular agency that I worked at was a really, really good agency. And I, um, I was lucky to advance very quickly. And I was uh, one of two members of what was known as the Young Talent Department, which meant I had to become an agent for theater, film, television, commercials, soaps, uh, voiceovers, print modeling. So I was like, wow. I have to go through different kinds of agents and everybody doesn't have that. And that led into my perspective. So anyway, then I became a personal manager for several years. And then I was like, you know, nobody really, I would watch how people interviewed with me and I would remember how I interviewed and kind of poorly as an agent and didn't have any understanding why they really asked those questions. You know, they'd say, well, what do you want to do? And I would sort of, I might even get a little attitude and say, well, I want to work. And it's like, you know, yeah, well, the, yeah, but can you, can you, do you have any focus at all? Like, do you have any sense of, you know, where you're thinking of work, where your interests lie, where you think you fit, fit in? So <laughs> I had learned being on the other side of the desk, everything from how to audition in an office, just from mistakes I had seen, to um, how to work an interview, what kind of information speaks to people when you're communicating with an agent that uh, you would like to meet with or maybe have met with. And that's why you'll notice in the book, there's a lot of talk about callbacks. You probably noticed that. Yeah. And that's yes. because agents usually want to know, unless you're just starting out and you're a kid and then they won't ask this, but before too long, they're going to ask you which casting people know you because that makes them know how hard or easy a sell you might be. So the more people who know who you are, then um, the easier you might be to get appointments for from their perspective, which takes me into another little thing here. That's why you see a lot uh, in New York in particular, you see a lot of industry people leaning towards certain key schools. And that's because in part, well, largely because they tend to be good schools and they're, they're, they're you know, very discerning about who they take which then brings casting people to see their main stage productions, which they can easily see because geographically it's not hard to do. And then the agents know that a lot of the casting people already know them. And then the casting people and the agents are at the showcase. So if I take a kid on from a particularly good school, um, like a really good school, I know that many, many, many casting directors already know that person. And so the chances will increase if they like that person and think they're right for the role that I can get them an appointment versus just sending a picture of somebody who has no contact. Not that that can't be done, but it makes their job easier. So after I wrote the book, after I, no, I skipped a step. I spent um, three years just working with actors in a one-on-one -on -one format. And I really liked it because it got me away from being on the phone all day and changing appointments and all of this kind of low, I, I didn't have a great tolerance for, you know, straightening things out all the time. And so um, the management part led me into working closely with my actors and clients and coaching them. So after about 10 years of all of this, I thought, I think I'll start a business because I've never heard of one where people sit an actor down one on one and say, OK, here's your picture. Here's a resume. We'll start there. What are your goals? What do you want to see on your resume? Just tell me two things you want to see on your resume a year from now that are not on there. And then um, we break down what would probably need to come to pass. That's my way of saying, what do you want to do? I get more specific. Name two things you want to see. And they might say a co-star on a TV, you know, on a New York primetime show, something off Broadway. So we, we break down each thing and then we talk about the agents and the questions they're going to ask you and how you're going to answer them. So anyway, I was asked to write a book. It was an interesting thing. Um, I had an ad in backstage in the late eighties and early nineties 
And it had a bunch of bullet points about what, what we would cover if you came to see me. So an editor of a, uh, a publishing company, the woman who um, was in charge of the drama line of books, the late Lisa Barnett, was very, uh, very savvy. She kept a good eye on New York, although the company, wonderful company, was up in New Hampshire. And so she called me one day. She said, every one of these bullet points could be a chapter in a book. Are you interested? I said, yeah. I said, and people tell me that all the time. She said, pick three bullet points and write a chapter on them and send it to me. So I did. Then she, yeah, she came down and met with me in my office. And um, she said she would come down at some point because she came to New York a lot. So she came in. I said, hello, Lisa, have a seat. It's nice to see you. And then Patrick, I just did not shut up because I kept thinking, I kept thinking she's here to tell me that she's not interested and I, I, I don't know what to do other than just to keep yakking and yakking and yakking and yakking so that this won't be awkward for either of us and I won't get rejected if I, you know, talk until I pass out. So finally she said, okay, Brian, stop. I loved it. Uh, and I said, what? And she said, I loved it. I said, well, I know, I feel like I know what I'm talking about. I didn't know how you'd feel. She said, I think we're going to have a deal here. That book, Patrick, then took off. Um, this was 1993. And then, you know, there was another one in 98. And then there was another one in 2005, another one in 2009, another one in 2014. And ev- within each edition, I would actually, there'd be several printings. So even though something might say, like the one that says fifth edition now, if you bought it in 2014 or you bought it yesterday, there are differences in it. They just don't change the copyright date yet, but I'm working on, you know, updates as this business. When I look at the first book now from 1993 and now it's like, it's, it's, it's 95% different. But anyway, what happened with the book is it, uh, it changed my clientele. It got me more business. It got me more. I always had a mixed bag of people before that, you know, some were more sophisticated than others. Some were more advanced somewhere. But when that came out, and people bought it, I, there was a radical shift to the more serious actor. And I think it was because if somebody wasn't really serious and they thought this was going to be easy and they read that book uh, and they weren't serious, I don't think they were going to be inclined to want to spend too much more time with me because they wouldn't want to do the things I was going to be, be suggesting. But the good news is it went, it made its way into a lot of top schools and then uh, in the late 90s, I started getting a lot of gigs, which I have remained today. But I didn't have to stop marketing. I did not. I mean, I sent books to heads of departments. I um, told them what I could do. I did what actors do. I went out and had postcards made with my picture on the front. The front half would be, half of it would be my photograph. And the other half of the front would say recent lectures include Yale, NYU, Juilliard, and they'd be all bullet pointed. And of course, my thinking was, I'll send this out to all kinds of college theater departments because the mentality is the same. I'm telling them that their peer schools and even schools that are perceived as more serious than they are, you know, bring Brian in. So maybe you should too. And that worked too. So a lot of the business principles in the book as I'm sure you've seen, transfer from one business to another to another. And actors say to me all the time, oh, you know, who have other jobs and stuff say, oh, this is just like what I do in blank. Or this is what I do when I, and I'm like, yeah, that's what you do. Um, it's, it's, there are certain business principles that transfer very nicely. And one of the big ones is, you know, showing your credibility and that other people um, who are, People who have a lot of credibility and um, also like you and know you. And that brings us back to why agents say which casting directors know you work. So if you can say I had final callbacks for this big director for this big project, and then I had two callbacks for such and such for so-and-so, and and then three weeks later they brought me in to audition for such and such and I got called. That says something. That's something because you've noticed, I'm sure, you know, when you see any successful actor – on a talk show or anything. And if they're talking about their career, um, there's that old expression, success leaves clues. Yeah, and they so yeah. often talk about, 
the pilot they got that didn't get picked up, the series they got on that got canceled, the pilot that they tested for and the whole deal got worked out with the network. And then uh, they didn't even get, they, they weren't even ultimately uh, chosen for the pilot, things that fell through. Um, but you look at the almosts. So if there's a business where almost counts, it most certainly is this one because people are getting to know you. They're getting to know what you can do. Um, they're getting to trust you. They know that you show up. They know that you deliver. And even if it, you bear in mind that, you know, when you audition for a role, only one person can get it. And most of the time, it's just not going to happen to be you. But if you're in the running and you keep getting in the running and you keep getting in the room, they keep bringing you back in the room and they're trying to find something for you. Um, you know, I, I say to actors a lot, when you, the actor, get called back, don't get the part, you uh, see the disappointment of it. But very often your agent sees the promise of it. Huh, yeah. Because with you, it could be life-changing more than it might be for them. And I worked with an actor recently who had a callback. He had an audition for a wonderful role at a major off-Broadway theater, and uh, he didn't get it. And he got called back, which was even more exciting and more frustrating ultimately. And he didn't, and it went beautifully. Both auditions went beautifully. So now he was not only ex more excited as he got closer to this wonderful role, but he was also more frustrated when he didn't get it, you know? Yeah. And sure enough, as these things happen, the gentleman who was the casting director for the theater was the casting director of a new primetime network show and said, I want to bring this guy in. He's wonderful. And when I actually finally met the actor and, sa and he sat in front of me, he had just done his 28th episode as a guest star recurring on this show that came as a direct result from a job he did not get. Yeah. Yeah. That, oh, that it happens all the time, all the time, all the time. Well, I think that this is, this is such important information for, for all actors to keep in mind too. Cause I think when actors go out on auditions, it, it's exactly like you said, more time than not, they're not going to get the role that they're auditioning for. But I think it's important to keep in mind that, especially if you're getting those callbacks, like you're mentioning, that that could then lead to other projects down the road because people are always going to be creating. There's always going yep. to be new projects in the future. Yep. And so I, I love what you're saying. It's it's really a matter of keeping keeping the right mindset and perspective on the auditions that you go on. That's right. And knowing what the big picture is. And if I had any flaw, and I'm sure I had many in my own acting career, I had no understanding of that. I had no understanding of that. I thought it was all about that job. You know, and then I one day had the experience of, as I started to audition better, getting a call from a director. He said, not this, but I'm going to be doing something in a few weeks and I have you in the file and you will hear from me. And I did. And so... Um, it was just something I didn't, um, I thought, and that just puts more pressure on you, you know, thinking I have to get this, I have to get this. And um, it doesn't, you know, I, I say in my book there, agents live in a world of callbacks. When you're an agent, most of your best people get called back a lot and don't get the job most of the time. For the reason that I said, only one person can get it. And the odds are usually going to be that it's just not going to happen to be you. But it doesn't mean you didn't audition beautifully. It doesn't. Oh, all those things that you've heard about. Um, there are times when you walk in a room and you don't know that the person who just left already has it. Um, they've, they've, they've said book them. And, and I've seen situations where a showrunner, uh, the casting director's there or a bit, or one of the top decision makers has to leave a showrunner told me this. She said, sometimes I have to leave and check a location. We're running on the fly. I, Because I asked her how somebody did in a callback. And she said, to be honest, I was gone by the time he came in the room. She said, we, we chose him um, and the decision was made. So I said, well, I want to make it clear to actors because knowing what actors are like, having been one, they would probably, when they hear that, say, so we're just sitting out in the waiting room wasting time. No, you're not wasting time. You're getting... You're, 
You're in the, that's how the cog of the wheel turns. Whoever that person is who got it, they're going to go someplace else tomorrow and that might happen to them. I don't want people to overthink that either. You know, like that that happens all the time or whatever, but it it, it can. um, And so there, it all, but you just still, you go in and you deliver your best anyway, because you can't control any of those things. Uh, you just do your best and you just uh, know that if you are and they agree that you're doing your best, there's a really good chance you'll hear from them. And if not, that's something else, you know, because um, yeah. that's how it works. That's how it works. And- that's why when somebody make become successful also, um, like I was talking to a casting director at a network not too long ago and I mentioned an actor and what she said didn't surprise me. It was an actor who had broken through big. Oh, she said, sure. He, we used to have him in all the time. Yeah. You had him in all the time. Right. Because you liked him and he did well. And then one day <laughs> somebody gave him a great big job or he had some little jobs along the way. And then he got a big one, but he was going in all the rooms. So, you know, when somebody makes it most casting people, uh, it's not uncommon for them to have had that person in their office many times when they didn't get anything, you know? Right. Right. Well, I, I think it's so important with what you're saying too, that it's a, a lot of times when people have big successes or like you're saying, they have these big jobs. It's easy for everyone else to say like, Oh wow, they came out of nowhere. But exactly what you said, the casting people have seen these people for often several years coming into oh, the room yeah. time and time again. And I, I think th- that sort of practice of actors to be able to work hard, to be able to get those callbacks really speaks volumes as to the ones who are the, you know, very professional and really willing to work oh, apart, yes. but, uh, apart from the ones who, it, maybe not so much. Uh, so with all of that said, I, I would love to hear your thoughts just based on your experience in working with actors. What do you find are the biggest struggles that actors run into, whether it's in auditions or meeting with agents? Um, let me see. Um, actually, I'm more... Uh, I do teach some auditioning. I'm particularly, I know it's kind of old school, but despite what you might hear, there really still is uh, a definite niche for monologues. I mean, I, it's, I either coach people for top school auditions or for uh, stuff they're asked to put on tape. There are, believe it or not, still agents who want you to come into their office and do something for them live. Um, and certainly equity principle auditions, which right now, you know, with the theater, we're not, I don't believe there would be any, but, um, so I see a lot of the other stuff. Most of my work is, most of my work is dealing with relationships and a lot of them are representation, uh, issues, actors being, um, the first thing I say to an actor A lot of actors call me and the reason they're calling me is because their contract is up with their current agent um, or they're only freelancing. So they're not under any obligation, but not too much is happening. So I say, if you want to work with me, this is the first thing I want you to do. I said, and you won't regret it, even if it seems like a bit of a pain now. I want you to go through your records and I want you to drop a spreadsheet of everybody you've auditioned for, what it was for, what the role was, and if you got called back or not. And then I say, what I want you to do then is take the spreadsheet and rearrange it in order of where you did best. So rather than handing it to me when you see me chronologically, I want to see next to the names booked, 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 uh, callback, 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 brought in twice for three different projects. Now, sometimes actors will say, well, I don't have all of that. But a lot of times they'll have some of that. They might have a couple of callbacks or if not, They might have somebody who's brought them in for a few things. They might have met the casting director at a seminar who's brought them in. It's all valuable. And then what I do is I take that and I show them how to turn it into like an oral presentation so that when an agent says, which casting directors know you, it's like a monologue. It sounds like it's off the cuff, but it's not. It's completely scripted. (laughs) You know, you say, well, let's see. So-and-so probably knows me best. She booked me on a guest star of Blue Bloods. And then I got, uh, I got cast by 
so-and-so for a, a, a co-star on. And I've gotten callbacks several times by blank for the role. And when you start saying the roles too, you know, like, uh, and it's very resonant in the theater, you know, I had two callbacks for the role of Catherine and Proof for regional production. The agent is also seeing how the outside world is seeing you and what kinds of roles you're particularly, you're either getting or getting close on, you right. know? So um, I, I show them how, I say, because, you know, you a lot of times these meetings are, are, aren't that long and, you know, the agent gets busy. You don't want to leave valuable information unsaid. And actors will say to me a lot after, they'll say, oh, God, I forgot to tell her about this, this, and this. I'll say, so here's what you do. You send an email tonight, you thank her for the meeting, and say some information, put it right in your subject line, some information I neglected to tell you, thank you for today. And you say, I thought it might also be of interest for you to know that I did have callback. And, and actors are always surprised that they, the first thing that happens is, Patrick, uh, very often is it, it, their self-esteem and their confidence is bolstered because they forgot how many almost calls they've had. They forget how many people have had them and how many times. And they end up looking at that sheet and saying, yeah, I, there, there are a lot of people who think I'm pretty good, <laughs> you know? And so then they go in and then I coach them. This is on my website. Um, there are a couple of uh, videos on how to prepare for uh, how you see I've, I've yourself. I watched these videos. Yeah, oh, they're they're so good. I would love for you to, to share, uh, share this with our listeners because, yes, I, I love these videos so much. They're so important. Well, thank you. One of them is short and it's for a male identifying. The other is longer for female identifying. They, you could use either one of them. It doesn't, the adjectives don't necessarily relate to gender at all. It's, I, my way of going about it is I will say to an actor, um, what on your resume, what do you think is the best thing you ever did? And what do you think is the best thing that you got response to whether if the professional I might say, what did you get the best reviews for? If they're a student, I might say, what got you the best uh, response in class? It might even be scene work. And I'll say, okay, tell me about that character. Describe the character the same way you would if you were a casting director drawing up a breakdown and they'll say, well, he's this, he's that, or she's this, she's that, the other thing. And I'll say, okay, give me another one. And they'll give me another one. I'll say, describe her or describe him. They'll say, well, you know, he's this too. And he's that too, but he isn't this. I'll say, that's okay. We can use it. And I'll have three or four lined up. And you'll see that a number of the adjectives usually repeat themselves. And a lot of times the reason for that is because those are characteristics that you have. And um, that's why you get cast in those roles. They were, they were, things that, you know, are sort of part of your own essence. So I show them how to talk about where they're the same, where they talk about where they're different, how to keep it concise so they don't ramble on and on and on. And one thing I also do is actors tend when they do this to when they want to get range in there, they will use the word but a lot. And I'll say scratch out the but and just change it to and. Because they'll say, I do characters that are blah, 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 like this and that. And they'll say, but I also can do characters that are, and I'll say, get rid of the but, because but sounds like you just canceled out what you said. Yes. Say and. And, and one, one, one thing that people do a lot that is, is I try to, I hope set them on a better path with, they'll say, for example, uh, an actor, a female actor might say to me, I'm good at, you know, these very, you know, very strong, determined, uh, tough, uh, you know, uh, passionate uh, women who are, you know, very focused on their mission. And then they'll say, but I'm good at comedy, too. And I'll say, what makes you think tough, determined on a mission precludes being funny? I say there are plenty of funny characters, funny of women that are tough and, you know, all kinds of things. One does not so say, and on the comedic side, some of the women that I've played who demonstrate so that some of those same things would be this, this, and this. But one of the things I like to get to is I do like to, I like to use plays 
because a, ro- a role won't be identified typically with one person. Right. Right. You know, the way a movie will be. Um, so if you say, so what, what I do is I say to the actor, you know, pick this one role, give me three adjectives that describe him. Uh, okay. This role. And he's this, this, and this. And I try, especially in New York, for New York, for it to be a play because it it, it it very well might be a known play. You know what I mean? It could be Williams. It could be Miller. It could be Shanley. It could be, it could be Shepard. It could be anything. So if you say, I played the role of blank and blank, and he's this, this, and this. In New York, at least, they, 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 there's a good chance they'll have a familiarity with it, unless it's an original play that nobody knows, you know. But when you've been in training, and uh, that's why I stress with people a lot, it can be something that you've worked on. You've done scenes from that went over very well that you'd like to do the whole role of if it's a really good casting. And um, so we work on that and I get it in such a way so that, as I say, it doesn't go on and on and on and that it doesn't confuse. So what I go for is um, focus and range at the same time and clarity. There's a way to do it so that everything you're saying isn't canceling out everything else that you just said. You know, there's a, there's a way to communicate it. And I love doing it because everybody's different in this regard. And you are training them also from the get-go how to think about you. If they say, how do you see yourself? And you're not getting things in that you're good at and communicating them in an effective way, then you can't expect them necessarily to be sending you in or trying to get you appointments for things that they don't even know you can do. So when they say, how do you see yourself? They're asking two things. It's to me, it's like, I see something. Do you see what I see? And also how well do you know yourself? How well can you communicate to me where you think you fit in apropos of where I think you might fit in? And so, um, it's, it's the most dreaded part of the interview because as I say on one of the videos on my website there, when you say, when you say to an actor, how, tell me, how do you see yourself? What you usually get, Patrick, is this sort of heave of the chest, a deep sigh, and then the head goes, and then the head nods and the eyes roll and the actor goes, Ah, oh, see, that's the thing. <laughs> I, you know, I either get these guys that are, mm-mm-mm, or I get this. Mm-mm-mm. That's not a good answer. And there is an answer. If you're good and you, and you think about it, problem is if you don't think about it and do a little work on it, the chances of you pulling it out of the air on the fly are not good at all. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I love what you were saying, too, about how the actor in a lot of ways is training the agent how to see them. I, I, I think that it makes so much sense. And to, to go off of this, uh, because I think this is a really important aspect of an actor's career is, like you said before, so much of this industry is about and about what you do, too, is about relationship building and really making those connections with casting directors and with agents in order for an actor to progress in their career. So I'm wondering if you could just share with our listeners, how can an actor go about starting these relationships with agents and casting directors if they're new to the industry or perhaps they've been working in the industry for a few years now, but they're struggling to get the kind of work that they want to, how can they go about with those uh, initial contacts for agents and casting directors? You mean like getting in the door in the first place? Yeah, exactly. Okay. One of the things I suggest if somebody's really new and this won't come as, you know, terribly surprising, you know, are you training? Where are you training? Who are you working with? Uh, what are you working on? Um, you know, are you, do you feel ready to approach um, agents? And, you know, it depends on the age of the actor. The younger you are, the less is expected of you professionally because, you know, if you're a kid, you're a kid. Yeah, you might have done something, but 
the business will look at an 11 year old who's never done anything differently than a 35 year old who's never done anything, you know? So, um, you know, I, sometimes I suggest that they consider possibly starting off with commercials, um, taking a good commercial class, sending their picture resume to various commercial agents, people who handle non-union commercials, getting on, you know, the casting websites and trying to build up stuff on your own. And uh, because sometimes good, I don't mean good, but yeah, good, well-known casting directors do appear sometimes on those actors access things, depending on what it is they're casting and maybe the difficulty in, in finding might be a very specific thing that they're looking for. And you do see it with kids a lot because they tend to throw the doors open more for younger people because you never know who might be out there. I always noticed when they were doing youth-oriented shows like, um, oh, going way back to my era, Jesus Christ Superstar Hair, and then later on um, things like Rent, um, Spring Awakening. They've had these big open calls because you know the characters were teenagers or young, and you just never know who might be out there. You know, who doesn't have an agent yet or some terrific person. My friend, Tony Vincent got, I think he was the second Roger in Rent and he got it the week he came to New York. Wow. Yeah. Now that had a lot to do with his talent. It also (laughs) had to do with, indeed. But let's say Rent were a play with a smaller cast and not a musical it would have been much harder. You know, musicals are larger. Um, the Broadway is more musicals when it's Broadway's up than non-musical. There's flexibility. There's, you know, ensemble people and swings and all of that. But anyway, that aside, I take a look at what they want to do and show them, you know, like here are some people that are good who are work, work with beginners. And then what they have to do is have some content that they can have on a casting website. Because I've had people say to me, uh, you know, I'm on this casting, I'm on that casting website. I never get anything except for calls for background work. And I'll say, well, what, when you apply, what do you send them? Oh, I don't have anything. I said, well, there you go. I said, think about it. If 500 people send something in and 50 of them have a clip or a scene or something and 450 of them don't, who do you think they're going (laughs) to, who do you think they're going to take more seriously? So what's wonderful about it is these days you can have a couple of short things and if they're well shot and they show the essence of you, you making a couple of choices or something that shows something, you've got to have something to show people now. And it's wonderful that you can because you can and you could send it like I, I talked to a kid who was uh, he was at a school and uh, he told me about this movie that had a lot of skateboarding in it. And, you know, the the characters had to be excellent skateboarders. And he said, I am. I said, do you have a video of that? And he said, no. I said, well, get one because it's not hard to do. And I said, and I'll show you how to look up five different people who are involved with that movie and you can send it to them and somebody's going to look at it. And if that skill is as good as you say it is, you might be somebody that they want to talk to. Uh, and other things too, having stuff, I, I come from an era where you had to walk into somebody's office and either read or do a monologue. And if you didn't have it, then you you were pretty much out of luck. And then I, you know, was part in my early agent years were the those plastic contraptions, the the VCR Betamax that, you know, those things. <laughs> and then we got to discs and now and now of course links. So just as an example, uh you, you want to study with good people who are well-connected. People make referrals all the time if they really believe in somebody. Uh, I got, I was on Facebook one, about one o'clock in the morning, Patrick, and a singer, director, writer, composer, friend of mine just PM'd me. And she said, Bri, do you have anybody that fits this description for something that I've written? Any of your students? She said, because she has to be able to play 17. I said, yeah, hang on a minute. And I knew one of my kids had this thing on YouTube where she sang and did um, really lovely. And so I YouTubed it as a share to my friend's PM, you know, this is all going on at one o'clock in the morning. And my friend said, that's her. Um, 
And little, you know, meanwhile, the girl, the young woman was fast asleep somewhere, not knowing. I mean, she had to go in and meet with them to make sure they liked her. But my friend said, you'd vouch her. I said, 100%. She said, okay. She said, don't tell her this, but she said, it's cast. Now that's not going to happen at the highest levels. But the point is, if you can have stuff, you must have stuff because there's no excuse to send something to anybody without any stuff in it. You know what I mean? It's like if you send me a letter and you're like, you know, I graduated from here, there, there. Well, give me a show. You know, let me let me press a let me hit a link or two. And we're both farther ahead. And the beauty of it is you can control it a lot more than you could if you were stuck doing a monologue in their office, you know, when you're in there and you're nervous and everything. So you can have these things. Um, a, a young friend of mine, Patrick, um, who took his first second acting class with me, and he did a mini series, did a couple of, not a mini series, uh, a web series, and he did a couple of uh, webisodes of something that went on to Vimeo. Anyway, he didn't like it. And he said it was no big deal. And, you know, he said, I didn't put it on my resume. And, you know, I don't care. It's out there somewhere. But I watched it. I said, David, you're, you, you know, you, you do. I think it's terrific. But whatever. I said, you know, if you don't feel like marketing it or whatever, he was doing other things. So anyway, he gets an email from the person that I would say without mentioning my name. I would say this person is probably the most powerful talent manager in the world. Wow. And he said, he said, David, I saw the webisodes. I would like to meet with you. And so David was really, well, he didn't say that to him, but he <laughs> said, okay. And uh, so anyway, David met with this wonderful man and that's two. And David now is getting job because this manager has access to everybody. And so anybody will see David on this guy say so. And most of the time he doesn't book, like we said, that's not how it works, but sometimes he does. And when he does, it's, it's really good. And he's a very, very hard worker. And I saw him recently say, I said, Dave, did you ever ask your manager why or how, what was his reason for just happening beyond that random, to be on that random webisode? Was there anything that sent him there? And it was kind of funny. David said, no, I never did find out. And I really don't care anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I don't blame you. But for some reason, there he was. And if it wasn't there, he couldn't have seen him, you know. And now he's got this great manager who hooked him up with a great agent. And he gets great jobs. And he's a real player. But it was a happenstance thing. And if you don't have anything, that can't happen. And the bigger thing... You can't have anything to send to anybody. You can't put it on uh, IG. You can't put it on TikTok. You can't you can't send anything to anybody if you don't have it. So you need to work on stuff. Yeah. And it's very easy to do. I mean, you can learn how to shoot stuff. I put a share on um, Facebook the other night. Manhattan Theater Club is, is having some kind of a series where they're doing monologues for young people. And there's this kid, he's about 15, and he did it beautifully. And he's sitting on his, his porch on the top. It looked like a top step of his porch. And he's in a confrontation with somebody. And he's angled so that there's probably nobody else there other than the camera. And if there is, you don't ever hear the person or see the person because it's written in such a way that it's just him kind of getting something off his chest. And if he's not looking into the camera. It's angled the way it would be on a real TV show where you can tell the person's talking to somebody else, even though the other person doesn't appear to be present or isn't visually present to, to us, the viewer. And it's just this minute of this. So I um, sent it off to all my NYU kids from last year. And I said, look what he did in a minute on his porch. Somebody's going to notice you. I can't promise you you're going to be a star that you're going to work all the time. But there will be forward motion. There just will be, you know. Cause it, and people report back to me all the time. I'm always hearing from people, hey, that worked. And I always encourage people, tell me what happens. And they'll say, you know, when I met with the agent and I put the actual callbacks in the cover letter, which I suggest, bullet pointed, they'll say, oh, yes, I saw that you had a, two callbacks for this. Well, that casting director is a friend of mine. And I called her and she said, you're terrific. So that's why I called you. So they're references at the same time, but they're factual things that happen to you 
So you have the right to report them. It's not like you're dropping somebody's name without permission. It's an event in your life. And if it's true, uh, you can use it. And so I love it when people tell me when they walked in the room, when the person they met with actually tells them like what particular thing made them say, come in and talk to me, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think so much of what you're saying too is all about actors being their own cheerleaders. And I feel like, especially nowadays in you know the times of COVID, there's a lot of discussion within the industry about creating not only your own content, but then also really creating high quality self tapes. And I think that goes, oh, yeah. I think that goes back to what you were saying about the importance of having material and having and and really teaching yourself as an actor to 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 shoot properly and and use lighting as well to to really submit professional looking uh tapes whether it is a self tape or whether it's you know your own short film that you're shooting that's right and now you know with covid and everything we have the added layer of zoom auditions so we went from self-tape that you send in to doing it while that person's watching you right then and figuring out what your eye lines are and getting your lighting right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you're, you're, um, you know, so there's, there's, there are people who are helping actors with their zoom auditions. Uh, I think this, you know, I could be wrong about this, but from what I've seen, and I think for obvious reasons, um, where I've seen actors who are still, well, I know, you know, I have actor friends. I have a, a student a client friend of mine who is shooting matrix four for months in, in March and since March in Germany. And he, he uh, loves it there. He feels they've done well with the pandemic. And of course he's in this huge role in this huge film. And so that's all nice, but I see people working in different parts of the world being flown up to Vancouver I think Oscar Isaac is in Poland. I'm not sure. Well, you know that, and that's great if you're in that category. And hardly anybody is. But on the more journeyman actor type, what I do see is um, quite a few calls for voiceovers because you can do them from anywhere. You know, you you don't have to be with anybody. So a lot of people are telling me about voiceover uh, auditions and bookings. Yeah, it's it's amazing how in a lot of ways, the entertainment industry has pivoted a little bit. And I also felt like though the industry was kind of going in this way in some form with, you know, the, the advent of, of self tapes. And oh, sure. I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think that, that actors learning these skill sets and then learning all the, the relationship building that you have talked about yeah. and, and that you talk about in your book as well. It's, it's so so critically important. And uh, with all of that said, I would love for you to share with us why it is that you love this work so much. You've been doing this for so many years now. I would, I would love to hear why it is that you love working with actors so much. And not only that, but also working with actors in the business capacity of the entertainment industry. Uh, oh, well, thank you. I, I'll tell you <clears throat> a big part of it, you know, as I said, it started with this particular, it's 32 years now in July. Um, it's so I've talked to a lot of people by my, you know, in a one-on-one <laughs> -on -one format and in the schools I teach at and everything. And what I like ab about it, the first thing I really wanted, as I said, was like to get away from ringing phones and changing appointments and just a lot of stuff that, um, isn't terribly creative, you know, that, that's just stuff that's got to be done. Um, and then, of course, I felt that I had learned being on the other side of the desk, I had something to say. But one of the things I think, you know, you go back and look at what made you want to be an actor. And other than what I thought <laughs> was so glamorous, other than when that bubble was burst, um, I realized that part of what made me wanted to be an actor was that I saw that it appeared that actors had a lot of variety. They went from job to job. Now I only saw the positive side of that. I, I didn't know anything about the unemployment part of it. I only, 
because when I saw them, they were working, you know, I was a kid and I thought, oh, now they're doing this and now they're doing that. And I loved the idea that it didn't look like it had a rut aspect, you know? So after being in an office and going in, I thought, I wish I had more variety in my day. I wish I had more. Um, so anyway, when I started doing this, that's one of been one of the greatest things because possibly the greatest thing. I have no idea who's going to call me, who's going to contact me, what, where they are in the business. I get everything from beginners to a lot of people who have agent issues. I'm signed with an agent. He doesn't want me to get a manager because I think he's afraid a manager will take me away to another agent. And that's not really the problem. The problem is this manager that wants to meet me, you know, is better connected in certain areas. And um, I think I should, you know, my agent is basically said no to the conversation, but I don't think it's completely fair. What do I do about that? So I get that. Um, people coming back into the business. I get, uh, you know, just different issues. And a lot of them are, as I said, the agent thing. But my favorite group of all, I get a group of older people. They're no longer older in context to me. But I always got <laughs> a certain group of mature people who men and women who who maybe started out acting studied acting when they were young and for one reason or another were not able to continue it either it was discouraged by their parents or they started a family and it simply was not something that was that, that, that was doable and so this particular group has uh, something in common at least the ones I meet and that's if they went and they did something else and they became very successful at it. Especially, I find a lot of attorneys. I have had tons of attorneys and I've had doctors. I've had judges. I've had, um, oh, you, if, oh, congressmen. And, and, wow. yeah, and what happens is they've lived life. They're not kids. They know how the world works. They know if somebody doesn't take your phone call, you, you don't have to cry and take it personally, you know. But that particular group comes to me. And as I said, they've typically been successful, which often means they've been able to retire at a reason. You know, they're not old, old, and they're just mature. And they're, they're pretty well set financially. And they say, now I can do what I really wanted to do. I've got some money and I can do whatever I want. My kids are grown. They're out of college. What do I do? And they're just like dying to do. And they're not expecting to be stars. They just they want to have fun. They want to do what they always wanted to do. They want some variety in their lives. They don't want to just be retired. They want to go out and keep meeting people. They want to do commercials. They want to get a few lines on, on, on SVU. They want these things, and they're very often talented. And the other thing is, because a lot of times they've been in business and in the corporate world or the legal world, they look like what they're supposed to look like, like – the lawyers look like lawyers. The CEOs look like lawyers. They they have the wardrobe. They have the bearing so that when they walk in the room, like let's say it's a five-line part as a lawyer on a legal procedural show. They walk in the room. They already look that like that. You don't have to say, well, that person doesn't look like they're – so they, they, they look well-heeled and they look like – they look like what they are, <laughs> you know? And, um, <laughs> yeah, and where yeah. they often do well is commercials, because if they're starting their career, really, let's say at 50, there are, uh, there are a lot of non-union commercials now. There are a lot of commercials that people who are 50 who've been working all the time can't do because they're union, um, or at least they're not really supposed to do, but that, that's, that's kind of a other story. But um, there's stuff for them. A lot of the people their age have already done a few lines on Law and Order and do or are doing other things. Um, where they where sometimes it's hard is they they become very successful doing commercials because as I said they're a perfect type they present themselves well and sometimes they don't understand why they can't get like some of the big stuff that really is going to require more credentials in uh in the world like they could be they'll say i could be that guy who's a regular on you know cbs's blah 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 or hbo's 
And I will say, there's no, you absolutely could be. The talent is there. But that person has actually spent the last 25 years acting. And everybody knows who he is. He has a history. He has a reputation. He, he, his work is known. He has an Emmy nomination. So you, it's not like you can just like jump in line. But you can, you can, you can get stuff. And you can um, rise up. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying sometimes people want something that doesn't have anything to do with ability. It has to do with the fact that they're not quite standing in that line. And there are a lot, of, and that happens at every level anyway. I mean, even when you're starting out, you could, you could, um, uh, you know, you could go in a room and see the person sitting next to you and go, well, I know him from this show and that show. They'll probably give it him, but maybe they won't give it to him. Maybe they'll want you instead. Cause that person wasn't born with, a, with, with a resume. So there are things where, yes, it's, it's less risk to hire somebody who they know delivers. And other times there are people, and some people are more willing to give people a break than others too. Uh, you know, I knew one, one producer who really didn't want to put people on her primetime show who uh, had never been on one before. I think she'd had an experience with a couple of newcomers. And they hadn't been on a set and all of this. She just felt more comfortable if they had had been on a, a show or two or three, even just with a few lines. And other people are, uh, ah, he's the one. I want him. Let's use him. We'll, you know, we'll do it. Throw him in the water. Yeah. You know, so there's all of that stuff. So what I love, I'll get calls. I got a call a few months ago from a woman. I started doing this in 1988. And you really do remember the first people that you met. And she happened to come to me from an ad in Backstage back in 1988. And I, she called me not long ago and she said her name and, and I just happened to remember. Now there'd be many people, many, 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 many who I would not remember after all the, <laughs> but I said, oh, I remember you. She said, oh, come on. I said, no, I do. I said, you were quite upset because you had gone to an image consultant who told you to dye your hair jet black, which you did and you were not happy about it. And you sat in front of me with this jet black hair and you said, I just, and she said, oh my God. And you know, um, so, <laughs> so I, I'll hear from somebody that was here three months ago, two months ago, five years ago, 15 years ago. And I love teaching at all the different schools, whether it's Juilliard, NYU, a lot of the really, really good. And I have different conversations at different schools too, you know, um, I don't have the exact same lecture at one school that I might have at another because I know that the students who are sitting out there are subject to different experiences. Like at Juilliard, I know, I know that most of the, by the time I meet the students, most of the big casting directors and most of the big agents have already seen their work maybe several times. They may already be getting offers. Um, and, and then, but if I'm called out to, you know, the university of, wherever around the country. I know that none of them have had that experience yet just because of the geographics and the school probably doesn't have that kind of prestige that would draw that either. You know, so even in New York, a range of conversations I'll have depending on the perception of the school and my knowledge of whether or not that school, how much um, of how much interest that school is to the industry at large, you know? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Brian, you have been such a wealth of knowledge for this episode. I, I can't thank you enough for, for oh, joining us on the enough. podcast. I, 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 I tell you, and, and not only for, you know, I can't thank you enough for joining me on the show, but then also just, just your, your knowledge and sharing it with, with both myself and the listeners. You, you've been in this industry a long time. And I think that you provide a perspective on the business of acting that is really important for actors in the, the industry to know about. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Oh, and well, I, I'm blessed to do it. I love it. I, I mean, this is fun. This, it's always fun. And I get the nicest people. I tend to get a pretty high level of people, smart, serious people. And um, I learn from them because they will tell me, you know, that whole section of my book, Patrick, about the agent-actor interview, which casting directors know you work, how do you see yourself? If I had tried to do the, write that book after I left the agency and manager book, none of that would have been in the book because I started careers off 
you know, Matthew Broderick was 18, 17. Meg Ryan was 18. I, I, I didn't sit around and ask new people which casting people knew them because I know nobody knew them. They were new. I didn't ask a teenager or a 14-year-old how they saw themselves because I knew they didn't have any concept of what I was asking. So after I didn't, I started the book three years in. And the reason how do you see yourself is in there is because every day people came to me and said, what do I say when they say that? And so I was like, well, this has to be addressed because, and I, and what, what really sealed it was I called up an agent friend of mine and I said, Holly, do you ever say to an actor, how do you see yourself? She said, I ask it every single day at every single meeting. And I said, then it's going in the book. Cause I never once asked an actor that I couldn't expect a 16 year old to even know what I was talking about. <laughs> it was my job to guide them. Yeah. And which casting directors knew your work. Like I said, they didn't know any. So people would come into me and I would learn after repetition. Well, I guess this is getting asked a lot. And again, all the new things, you know, um, as things changed and, unions merged and self tapes and, uh, you know, internet casting services and um, uh, just all that's going on now. You really learn it by working. um, You you learn it by working with actors who are telling you and certain things reaffirm themselves. Like the young man I was talking about told you about who got the second call back for the lead off Broadway. And that led to, you know, whatever he was done, 28 episodes of a team. I said, well, you're in a stronger position now to get a, a, a lead in off-Broadway play with them when you went in for that. Yeah. I said, are you being recognized? He said, it's a hit show. I get recognized all the time. I said, you're, you're, a, you're, a, you're a semi-name. I said, you're a, people know who you are, you know? So I said, you're in, a, you're in a better position to get a lead in a play than you were when you went in for that play because of the TV show that you got that you weren't even auditioning for, or so you didn't know you were, but you were. <laughs> right, um, right. So, uh, yeah, no, so I'm constantly being reaffirmed by um, the situations that actors find themselves in and bring to me and how I've dealt with it previously uh, and and what the results were. Where Where can our actors find out, or even just people listening to the podcast, find out more about you and your work? Well, there is my website, which is actingasabusiness.com. And I would say if anybody is interested in my book, Acting as a Business Strategies for Success, um, make sure that it's the fifth edition. It's kind of, this is going to sound awful, but it's like, it's yellow polka dots and pink polka dots and blue polka dot (laughs) on a black background. And it's like, but my point is this, a lot of times when you look for at Brian O'Neill acting as a business on Amazon or wherever you go, they'll throw up one, the image that will come up will not be the most recent. So fifth edition is the key word and a bunch of polka dots. Um, (laughs) And I I highly recommend this book too. It's it's so good. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So Brian, thank you so much again for joining us on the show. Oh, what a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Relate. You can let me know your thoughts on this episode by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a review. Or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. You can support this podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.